0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you've had those conversations and acquired those insights that changed your life or gave you that slight edge you weren't expecting that moved you dramatically forward or even slightly forward in your trajectory toward your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And where do these conversations take place? They happen in coffee shops, cigar shops, at the networking function before the seminar. They happen in outdoor cafes while you're driving, while you're jogging. Many of our episodes are filmed from our studio, which also happens to be my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony. Today, we're in my Las Vegas living room, where I'm in the company of my two feline office supervisors. As I said, we take it to the field and we go where you go to have these inspirations. Now, speaking of inspiring, we have somebody we're going to be speaking with today, and it's going to be a primer for you on upping your motivation to make your venture successful, even if you failed before. And as I've spoken with so many people who listen to our show and just so many people in the entrepreneurial space, it's almost to the point where I don't know somebody who hasn't failed at least once. I don't know too many people at this point who haven't lost a business or had to shut down a business or even just got to the point where a complete overhaul was in order. We're gonna cover a lot of topics like finding your drive, acquisition, something called the obituary exercise, exit survival mode, which means getting out of survival mode. And to take us down, and to take us on a flight that will illustrate what's going on, we have private airline founder, Nick Kennedy. He is a serial entrepreneur, and an executive life coach with over 20 years experience building successful ventures. He's going to tell you his story in just a moment, but right now, let's bring him in. Nick Kennedy, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I wish I was in Las Vegas with you there and your felines.
1: Well, we're, everybody passes through Las Vegas eventually, so we will have a sit down. Now, Often what I'll do is I'll read off our guest's official bio, and then I'll remark something to the effect of, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. Now, having read off just a little bit of what you have to share, I just have this feeling that it would be better if you told us in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So take it away,
2: Nick yeah, thanks so much for having me on. i I do have a deep, deep passion to walk alongside uh, leaders, tip what I call tip of the spear, the people where the buck stops. right. And be their friend because as a founder of businesses, of an of an airline, as growing other yeah. businesses throughout my career, it had uh, I found myself isolated. I found myself uh, not knowing where to turn to. I didn't know who was safe. I didn't know who I could really tell what was going on inside of me, the anxiety, the depression, the sadness, all the things that you're not supposed to say to your employees, to your board members, to your investors, to your customers, right? You've got to keep a happy, smiling face on. And the reality is when you take on a venture, when you're an entrepreneur, which is actually a French word that means the risk taker, it's the bearer of risk. So when you're an entrepreneur, anybody who takes on risk understands the stress that comes with that. And my passion right now is walking with these leaders who have taken on this stress and help them get clarity in otherwise an opaque situation on the longest journey in the world, which is connecting their, their 18 inches between their heart and their mind and being fully integrated. So how do we become incredibly successful in business? That's the, that's the base level, become incredibly wealthy, successful, admired, and not lose our soul that's the ex- existential kind of question that we that's out there right now right we've we crashed we see Adam Newman right a broken individual who went way and above you see super pumped that's that's uh uh Travis Kalinek right just driven beyond all normal we know these we know that you can be a a, a jerk and be successful but can you be a good person and be successful and I believe you can But it's really hard to. And so my passion right now is walking along with folks and saying, hey, we can actually do both. You don't have to sacrifice who you are as an individual in order to be a successful business executive.
1: I'm so excited to dive into this. So first thing I want to get into, as I mentioned earlier, we're basically going to bifurcate this into four more different areas, is the whole concept of finding Your drive. Now, you mentioned to me in the green room that there are some practices you can use to increase your motivation as you continue to strive to have a successful venture, even if you've failed in the past. Failure can be its it's itself a demotivator. Having your financial trajectory curveballed by some unexpected expense can put you down. So let's speak about motivation for a bit and what can you do to increase that, especially when it feels like you have to manufacture it.
2: Yeah, if so, I, I'm probably one of the few human beings on the face of the earth that has spent hundreds of hours in a in a in a private jet flying around and hundreds of hours in a prison visiting room. When I was 16, I went from an upper middle class uh life to my father being sentenced to 20 years in prison. And, and I got to see these, and I started this private, this airline using private planes. So, you know, I flew private everywhere. I still fly private a lot. So I get to see these two extremes, right? One is this, like there's the, the, the private plane is better than the second supercar, the third house. It's the ultimate, I have arrived kind of symbol in our society and prison is the ultimate you have failed in our society. And I don't know that you can find two places on the face of the earth that are further apart in society's eyes in those two places. And I'm intimately equated with both of them, not being in prison myself, but being visiting and and, and understanding, you know, what my father went through. And so I've seen the two extremes and and here's what I'll say. Number one, the difference between a prison visiting room or a prison cell and a private jet is less than 10 decisions, probably five decisions. Okay. So, so the, the person that we look at and go, man, they're overly successful. Look at what they've done. The reality is they probably were in the right place at the right time and they executed properly. And I don't want to take anything away from those who are successful, but the reality is it was two or three or four decisions that put them in that position. And the person who's in jail, it was two or three or four decisions that led down that path. And the second thing I would say is I know people who fly around in private jets all the time who are completely in jail, jails of their own making. And I know people who are in prison who are completely free. And so, when you think about overcoming this as a 16 year old, I took on this victimhood mentality like, woe is me. My dad's taken away from me. What am I going to do? My college fund is now gone. I have no idea how to, like, all this kind of victimhood I took on. And at some point in my life, I woke up and thought, no one's going to, no one's going to do anything for me. I've got to figure this out. Entrepreneurship became the bridge. From the life I had to the life I wanted. and there's it's never easy, but it's no there's no more efficient way to move from the place you are to the place you want to because you can go create millions of dollars of enterprise value in a year by having a right idea and being able to go execute it. you do that over ten years, you create a billion dollars of value, right? So that's why I love entrepreneurship, and these people who are on the journey. And most entrepreneurs who are successful, have deep, deep wounds and deep, deep sorrows that drive them in an unhealthy manner. I did. That's what caused me to start an airline. I don't even really like planes. (laughs) Barely know how they work. You know, if you, I just know that if you get something going fast enough, it'll fly. But I thought, oh man, if I could do this and be successful, man, all of society will be wowed by me and I'll never have to worry about someone asking me about my father. And I and 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 so I've been down this path and figuring out how do you overcome this this piece of it, and that's where I'm at with helping others overcome whatever issues are in their life to become something different.
1: The way you describe that does it feel like you were escaping from something?
2: Hmm. Let me think about that.
1: What well, the reason I bring that up is you. I thought I heard you say something, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here that it's like you didn't want people to know, or maybe you didn't want to think about the fact that your father had ended up being sentenced to prison.
2: Oh my goodness. You caught on. I mean, you you, you didn't have to read between the lines. It was a shame. It was, it was, it was something that hung around my neck. I felt like it was a scarlet letter that I, that I had to hide. And you think about, raising money for a venture, you think about hiring employees, you think about talking to the press and the whole time in the back of your mind, you're going, man, if they only knew. And the lie I believed that now I know is a lie because I've done a lot of hard work and a lot of kind souls have come alongside me. But the lie I believed was my father was a reflection on me as if somehow his actions had any kind of impact on my actions. And and so I was absolutely running from, from that. And there was a period of a of two decades that if you weren't in a tight tight circle of mine, I mean like my closest 3 or 4 friends, you had no idea. No idea that that's where my father was. And and I was absolutely hiding from that and trying to escape from that. Now that I've embraced that, now that I've come full circle and really embraced it, what I've learned is the deepest darkest secrets that are inside of us that we want people to not ever know about are often, not always, but are often the most endearing part about us. And one thing Brene Brown has taught us is if you want to be vulnerable with somebody or you want somebody to be vulnerable with, th- with you, you have to be vulnerable with them. And what I find is when you tell your deepest, darkest secrets and you, ex- you know, in a, in, a, in a safe manner, not just blurting it everywhere, but when you tell these secrets and you tell people what scares you more often than not, they look at you and say, if you only knew. As in, if you only knew all the things that I'm dealing with on a on a regular basis, and then they just start pouring out, and and so we we walk around pretending and projecting out to society all these things we want to be. I did for two decades, and when you finally wake up and go, "Hey, I'm good enough," you know, I'm either good enough or not good enough, but it's it is who I am. Man, you get a whole new lease on life and and a, and a ton of freedom around that.
1: Yeah, about ten years ago, I went through a really nasty breakup of a relationship i was concerned that my new ex was going to go crazy basically i now the thing is about situations is even when you do your best uh when it comes to breakup situations is not really is it isn't it often the case that everybody ends up looking a little bit bad because that's the nature of it nobody's perfect
2: You'd probably and be the, together. You'd probably be together, right? If you, if exact, you exactly, exactly, did do
1: something bad. I was so I was so concerned that people were going to start talking about me, and it was going to impact my business. So I find myself, you know, uh, you know, whispering in my client's mm-hmm. ear, saying, "I got to give you a heads up about something. I just broke up with my girlfriend, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I think she's mad at me because of." this and i uh, i just want you to know, uh, know in advance in case you hear some funny stories it's like <laughs> yeah and i and i and i and i think i had this conversation about with about 15 separate people and do you want to you want to know what i heard from 15 out of 15 of them tell me welcome to the club pal
2: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I love that. It's it's connecting it. Humanity. I mean, we are effectively meat bags controlled by another meat bag, right? I yeah. mean, I mean, our bodies are made up of of, of these, these cells and skin and tissue and whatnot. And then we have this brain that controls it all. And that's a that's another meat bag. And somehow magic happens that allows me in Texas to connect with you in Las Vegas. That's also allowing people who are listening to this right now connect with both of us, right? We've all been Great. through bad breakups. We all have this embarrassing thing, and somehow there's a deep deep level of connection, this magic that's happening between us. And I think when we get outside of ourselves and this idea that my cells, my tissue and my cells and my blood that's flowing through my body is the only thing that actually exists. And we start to recognize something deeper than that is when you start to really have freedom. And that's what I'm hearing from you is like, Hey, yeah, man, let me tell you about my breakup. And you start to go, Oh, geez, it turns out my, my ex wasn't near as crazy as I thought she
0: was. Yeah. (laughs)
2: don't don't erase that number too soon. you might need to call her back,
0: oh yeah, right <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh another thing that I think is related is that people are concerned that they they're concerned about what people. We'll say now, as we've had this conversation about finding your drive and and the idea of being vulnerable and being centered with what we've dealt with before, I think that there are a couple factors that come into play here. And I believe it has to do with how human beings are socialized, particularly as children. And in the in the one case, I think. That and I've had a lot of conversations with folks, and these are trends that come up from their childhoods. One of which is is the idea that they could that any form of complaining about their situation or daring to suggest that their parent or some authority figure was anything less than perfect. Hmm. Uh, like uh, here, here, here would be here would be a common here would be a common scenario. One of your parents makes a major mistake, and uh, the kid calls them out on it. And the parent says, well, all right, uh, I concede I made that mistake. But if you're going to be if, if you're going to be pointing things out, you better be goddamn perfect. Always. Yeah. OK, well, <laughs> all right. And then here's an, here's another phrase. Uh, say you're sorry, Nick. I'm sorry. And. <laughs> and I'll never do it again. Really? Yeah. yeah, really. And that that topics come up on our show sometimes and a larger thing that I see are situations where children are ordered commanded and demanded to reveal everything about themselves. And then when it's the other person's turn, it's the adults turn. They say, Oh no, you're just a kid. I'm not telling you anything. Yeah. And as an adult, when I find myself in those situations and, if you've checked out the Business Creators Radio Show, Nick, you know that we get kind of raw here. So this is the thing that my listeners have been waiting for because they occasionally love to tune in just to see if I go down this road. And today we're going to do it. Uh, I I find myself as an adult if I make myself vulnerable, if I reveal something of myself to somebody, and then they turn around and they say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to share with you," I say, or or they try and play this game of thinking that i'm gonna get really curious if they get coy with me
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i'll just say whatever fuck you Mm -hmm. i'm done (laughs) like Mm -hmm. whatever hey you don't want to share with me i i got i got them lined up around a block kiddo yeah i mean i i mean i mean even right now i've got i've got two cats uh, one on either side of me, I got princess Alessandra and princess Stella and they're felines and they give me more than that. So I really don't need a human being. <laughs> you know, well,
2: here's what I, here's, what I, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Cause I do think we Please need do. human beings. I think we do need. Well, human well beings. What,
1: what, what I mean? Is that. Well, let me complete my sentence. I, I, don't, okay. need, I don't need a human being who's going to, uh, play that game with me of, uh, you show me yours, but I'm not going to show you mine. Yeah, really? That's yes. no, not going to happen.
2: No. And, uh, there's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine is a guy named Dr. John Townsend and he, and another doctor named Henry cloud wrote a book called boundaries 20, 30 right. years ago. You ever heard that book?
1: I have not until right now.
2: So the book has sold the book and it's ancillary books have sold 20, 30 million copies. I mean, massive amounts of copies. Now, if you write a book, uh, and I just, I just wrote a book. So I know this intimately, uh, um, they they will sell quickly initially and then it slowly dies off right this book ha- is is one of the few books that's in, called an evergreen book it sells like 50,000 copies a year and has for for several decades okay now a best selling book today will sell 10,000 copies so this book for 20 years has been a like a 5x best selling book it's and and it's it's a good book and it's written really well but it's not because it's written so well it's because people don't have good boundaries And 98% of our mental health issues, in my opinion, in this world, come from not having good boundaries, either boundaries you put on yourself or put on someone else. So to what you just said, which is, hey, this far and no further, I call that the hula hoop scenario, which is the reality of the situation is all you can control, all any human being can truly control is if you put a hula hoop around them is within that hula hoop circumference. Right. The moment I try to control you, manipulate you, whatever, I might be able to do it for a little while, right? Like I might be able to pay you as a boss and therefore get what you want, or I might be able to manipulate you as a spouse and get what I want, or I might be able to buy you off as a friend and get what I want, but it's not something sure. that works works long-term. And that's what you just said is, hey, this is a boundary I'm going to put in place. And that is how you have a healthy relationship when you know where you end and someone else begins. Because now you have a standard for what I'm willing to put up with and what I'm not willing to put up with. And that is great in personal life and in business life. See that.
1: And, and I think that's another thing that goes back to uh, how folks are socialized, particularly how they're raised uh, with the idea that their own boundaries get trampled upon mm-hmm. nonstop. So they don't even learn how to defend Their boundaries you know it's kind of curious what we see in something we see in best practices for raising children today and we're seeing more and more of the idea of making sure that you have the child's consent before you touch them which means you don't compel Susie to hug grandma Mm -hmm. unless Susie wants to now I've I've heard people say but 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 but, but but having having Susie hug grandmas how you how you teach her to, to 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 love people well, there's another side to that, okay so a child is compelled to hug an adult. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what that seems to me and, and then if the and then if the child doesn't want to, uh, the adult uh, gaslights the kid and says, "Well, you just don't love me and you just and you just, you just don't you just don't care. Okay. Well, I heard a phrase that really struck me in reading some materials on this whole debate. And somebody said, when you make Susie, when you force, cajole, or manipulate Susie into hugging grandma, when Susie feels like it's a boundary that she doesn't want crossed, you are literally setting the expectation that Susie is just there to be used by an adult for that adult's pleasure. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. Program yeah. that into a kid, and then you wonder why there are so many toxic relationships out there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 we do it everywhere, right? It's in it's in our fan, it's our family units, it's in our religion, it's in our it's in our politics, it's in our culture. It's I mean, there's all these these things. Should, in my mind, is a four letter word. Yeah. Right when you when you weaponize should. You're a, you, it becomes a really dangerous uh, word, and and what's so cool about here's what I here's what I used to think about people. I used to think I had a Monday through Friday life where I had to be business Nick, and then I had a Saturday and Sunday life where I had to be personal Nick. Yeah, and I remember distinctly being in I was involved in a business I, I didn't have any control over it or not, but I was aware of things going in the business going on in the business that were not uh, appropriate. And I thought, geez, I got to get out of here. But my, my wife at the time was in school and it was the only income we had. And I was just kind of keeping my head down and, and, yeah. and pretending like I was an ostrich. And I remember being <laughs> in, in, I was in church one Sunday and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is going to come out. It's going to be bad news for the whole business. And people are going to look at me and be like, how did you get involved with that guy? And it was this connection for me of like, I can't be, I got to be the same person everywhere. So I cuss too much for church and I probably talk about spirituality too much for business. And I really don't care because Uh what I know is I've got enough skins on the wall that I actually know what I'm talking about and and I know it's how it works. So what's cool about it is when you translate these learnings into your business, people don't buy from companies, they buy from people. And when you learn all of these things, these boundaries and all these lessons, how you overcome and whatnot, you start to learn your widget that you're creating has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with making your customer a hero. And if you can make your customer a hero, you'll become a millionaire overnight. Why? Because you've taken the time to understand who they are on an intellectual, on a a physiological, on a mental level level. And you're now finding a solution that you've created to help them become better.
1: <laughs> okay, right, right before we move on to the next thing, because I really want to move on. I do want to I wa- I share something with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, I'm not sure everything about your business operations. Uh, however, I can tell you that you probably have something in your business that if you have it right now, you, neither, you definitely don't need it and you probably shouldn't want it. And ideally, you should get rid of it. You know what it is? Tell me. If you're getting traffic to your website, you got to stop that. Why? Whoa! What did I just say? Did it sound like I sound like I just declared that the Earth was flat? Does it, it seem like I have two
2: heads? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm curious. I'm i I'm I've learned in my old age that uh, to 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 believe everybody has something to te- teach me, I can't learn. I, I don't right. know. So okay, me Let me,
1: I, I say this all the time, and I get reactions like you wouldn't believe. What is traffic? To me, traffic is this whole idea of cramming a hundred thousand vehicles per hour onto an expressway, and I put that in air quotes. It was only designed to hold ten thousand people per vehicles per hour, all filled with human beings going to offices that they don't want to go to, that they probably really don't need to go to, to serve something that is out of alignment with themselves. For a purpose that has nothing to do with their own intersection of their brilliance and their passion. That to me is what traffic is. What is a website? Could be homepage, about page, podcast page, webinar page, products page, sales letter page, privacy policy, disclaimer, terms and conditions. We could go on and on and on. All of these things can be a website, and a website can contain all of these things. So traffic to your website. <clears throat> what I urge you to attract to your business. Are visitors to your web pages who are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped—the three C's of website conversions—attract visitors to your web pages who are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. So, what I've done here is I've taken a concept that everybody speaks about and renamed it. <laughs> everybody out there's talking about traffic your website. Yeah, yeah, my traffic to your website. All right. Okay. Do so I want to sound like everybody else? Or do I have the possibility to convey a message by saying, no, we don't want traffic to our websites? Last thing we need, to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Instead, we want visitors to our web pages. So, what I'm doing is simply redefining a concept, redefining a market. Because there are a thousand companies out there that'll get you more traffic to your website one way mm-hmm. or the other. But what makes the experience unique is something you just said. And when you said it, I was jumping around the room doing the raise the roof gesture is when you said that people do business with people. people. Yeah. So, so so, so, as Bob Berg has said so many times, all things being equal, we do business with those we know, like, and trust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or or the way I like to phrase it when I repeat it is we, we do business with people we know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. So without that point, I would say, also, bear in mind we do business with people. Mm-hmm. There's very little under the sun. What makes something special is the human being involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I totally agree, and, and this not, is why. And, yeah. This is why you've got to be able to connect with people, and you start by connecting with yourself. Right? If you know yourself really well, then you're able to do that. Right? Absolutely. So I love it.
1: Yeah. All right. So should we put in the work to acquire a company or start a company from scratch. (laughs) And this is for some weird reason. I've been getting this topic a lot on our interviews lately. So let's hear your thoughts on that.
2: So, So I always start with what's the end goal. So I would ask whoever's asking that question, what's the end goal? And the second question I would ask is their natural uh, uh, tendencies and natural talents, and here's why: I, I firmly believe there are very few people who can do who can start a business and run the business well successfully for a long period of time. You see this with Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook; they brought in Sheryl Sandberg to run it. You see Sergey uh, uh, Sergey and forget um, who the guy was from Google; they brought in uh, Eric Schmidt to run it. Right? So you have you have people who take an idea from zero to one. Uh, in my in my vernacular, I think about like a, a train uh, business, right? So on a, a, if you're starting a train business, you get to decide where the rails go. Do you go through the mountain? Do you go over the mountain? What's the ticket prices? What kind of engine do you use? What's the inside of the cab use? You get to create all that kind of stuff. And right. then the second part, the one to 1.1 is you have to make sure the train runs on time. So a guy like me, I have zero desire to make sure the trains run on time. That's just boring to me. I want to go do something that no one else has ever done. So I wouldn't be good at buying a business and trying to go run it because quite frankly, it's not my idea and I'm not going to be very enthusiastic about it. So that's one answer to the person who says, hey, I like to go do things that have never been done before. And if that's you, then go build a business. If you say, hey, I just want to make a ton of money. First of all, there's lots of easier ways to to do it than running your own business, but and you want to do it through the business, then then buy an existing business that has good cash flow and, and and manage it that way. I mean, it really has to do with your personality. There's not a wrong answer other than choosing the path that you're that is not aligned with your talents because you'll be white knuckling the entire experience and it will never it won't you, you won't sleep well. Uh, you have a lot of anxiety. Uh, you'll have yeah. all sorts of issues that go with it, but when you find something that you're, that's aligned <sighs> with your talents, well, goodness. So then, then it's like, it's like, uh, uh, ride, riding a skateboard downhill, right? You can't stop it at that point. There's so much momentum. Yeah. So I think it really has to do with what's the, what's the end goal uh, regarding that. I would be really careful around, um, franchises. I've seen I, I've seen a number of friends that have gotten involved in franchises. And the reality is the fran the large franchise the, the whoever the franchisee is or whoever the, the group is that's seen the franchise, they end up killing them slowly because they uh they end up having to pay so much back to the mothership that they can't run a right. business. Oh so yeah. So you know, so that's a that's a big red flag to look out for, in my opinion.
1: Well, when it comes to franchises or private labels or anything like that. I urge folks to think about very carefully what it is they're looking to create. And also if they decide to go that route, how much control is going to be imposed upon them and what autonomy are they going to have within their franchise or their private label? And does that align with their intersection, of their brilliance and their passion, their values and their truth? Because everybody's answer is their own answer. What that, what, what, Nick Kennedy would never want anything to do with might be something that's right up my alley. As Mm -hmm. I like to say, every no creates a yes.
2: Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and that's where good boundaries and disciplines come in, right? That's exactly where, where we've got to think about these, these kind of things, which is what is my, what is my, my goal with regards to my life? And, and so I've, I've a friend who runs a a business that his whole, he's a, he's a helper. Like his core, his core belief is I wants to help people. And he runs a very successful business and their entire business is predicated upon helping people that need medical help, right? So he's built a very successful business around how to, when your mother, friend, lover, whomever needs medical care, and you have no idea how to go about getting that. And it's long-term care. How do you find the right providers, how do you find in-home health? How do you find the, I mean, all the different things that you just don't think about. He's built a company that you call them and they just say, Hey, I got it. Cause I'm a professional. I do this all day long and I'm going to make your life easy. So you can go love on the people you love on. And I'll take care of that hard part, right? That's him knowing who he is and building something around that.
1: Wow. That's, that's really good. And I also see here, here's something that we also discuss when it comes to failure, cash flow cycles. And, and I know myself, uh, I've had people try to urge me to do things like this. Uh, well, if you need cash flow, find something that, yeah, I know you're absolutely going to hate doing it, but just as you, as you, as, you, as you're, as you're is your ready to throw up while you're doing it? Just imagine having that money and achieving your dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you know, uh what happens every single time I've tried that path and what I've seen other people go through is you end up actually losing money on those deals. Mm-hmm. It's funny how they actually set you further back when they were supposed to be the bridge between where you are and where you need to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So what I so what I say is. If you find yourself in the mode where you got to hustle to bring some cash in, you might as well just go after what you really want since you got to, since now you got to, you got to, you got to hit the street anyway, you might as well just go to where you're headed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And and that makes it so much easier. And yet we continue to talk about it we were talking about earlier. We, we continue to project these things out to the world of what we want them to believe that we are. And in fact, we're something completely different. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like we do it completely yeah. backwards.
1: Yeah, uh, it is so funny. And again, I think some of that has to do with how we're socialized, where where particularly children are told how they feel and told what their what their strengths and weaknesses are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and then you get conditioned as an adult. So now we're again back to boundaries.
0: Hmm.
2: Makes makes if you have good boundaries, it makes everything become very simple.
1: Yeah, here's a, and I and I've written about this in my contribution to Journeys to Success: The Millennial Edition, which is basically the story of how I was fired from my first quote unquote real job, and it turned out to be such an awesome thing that I literally celebrate April twenty seventh as my second birthday because mm-hmm. that's the date that it happened, and mm-hmm. I'm and uh, what and the work I did was. I was a recruiter for a temp staffing agency mm-hmm. and we had one of our temps out on assignments. And, uh, this guy, uh, he had two days left on his, on, uh, on his temp assignment. It was a six week assignment. He had two days left. And he called in and he said that he just wasn't going to go the last two days. And so I tried to use my powers of persuasion to get him to fulfill the last two days, because we had told the client that we would provide somebody for X amount of time. And I was, as I was going through my speech, he said, he said, he said, look, I've, I've heard this before. The bottom line is I just don't want to do the assignment. So I'm not showing up. Mm -hmm. And I thought you lazy sanctimonious bastard, (laughs) but see 2022, I look at this a little bit differently. And I say, this is a guy. Who decided no more. He hated. Yeah. Doing that assignment. Yep. And it got to a point with him where it just wasn't worth his spiritual happiness. Yeah. Even for the last two days. Yeah. Because I, I don't know how my tonality came across when I relayed what he said and how I par- paraphrased it. But what I remember, and I can still hear his voice. He had a deep, gravelly voice. Is him basically showing a level of excitement of liberation when he said, "I just don't want to." Yeah.
2: You know, we 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 have this fascinating. You know, (coughs) as humans, we live in a in a great time. I mean, you think about what has happened in the last uh, since. Okay, so so from the beginning of time until, or let's just go from 2000 BC until about 1760. Life expectancy didn't change. Infant death mortality or infant mortality didn't change. Cap, uh, cap, uh, GDP per capita didn't change. Uh, um, literacy didn't change. Uh, like none, nothing changed for thousands and thousands of years and probably tens of thousands of years before that. And then at 1760, we have the Industrial Revolution. And it, when Thomas Savory created the steam engine, everything changed for us as society. And so we've really only got a couple hundred years of experience. When you think about the totality of human beings, we only have a couple hundred years of this new world in which we have to hustle to get what we want, which is hustle is a great thing. You, don't, you, know, you need that in a, lot of, in a lot of cases. But the reality is retirement. Here's a great construct. Retirement didn't exist before World War I. Like, like, And now it's what most people spend most of their time thinking about, which is, am I going to have enough money to retire? Am I saving enough? Do I have the right job? Blah, 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 blah. It didn't exist not too long ago and certainly in a blink of an eye in the history of humankind. And so we do – one of the things I think that we have a huge issue with is we work, 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 work in these jobs that we hate – in order to retire, to do things that we're too old to do, and that we're going to worry about anyways, where in fact this next generation that's coming up, I, I'm all for it. When they say, "Look, enough is enough," I, if, if if there's not a purpose here, if there's not a why here, if there's not a, a reason that I should be getting behind this, then I think I'm, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm out. I'm good as a as a human being. I'm not going to spend my time that way. And That ticks a lot of people off because, well, when I was coming up, we worked harder and we did this, and yeah, okay, you did. But at the end of the day, they have a purpose. <laughs> If they yeah, have a purpose, if, right? Yeah, and there, it's if, more if, if, if than making money.
1: Yeah, if there's no purpose and there's no alignment. So people like to say, oh, these millennials, they're so lazy. They have no values. Actually, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer myself. I know have a lot of friends who are millennials. And i these are people who are brilliant. They're people who are passionate. These are people who really care about the work they do. And you can call it. Some folks may call it laziness. What I call it is, if they're not feeling valued. Remember what I said earlier. Like if uh, if uh, you know I share mine, but they don't share theirs. I just say fuck you. I don't need you. Yeah. Well, this is what millennials are saying to employers that demand that the employee just give, 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 yep. and be grateful for their one and a half percent perform. Their one and a half percent salary adjustments, where even though there was supposedly up to a five percent raise available, they were never getting more than three percent because there was no budget for it. And their supervisor was actually under instructions to find things wrong with their work to justify them getting no more than three percent. Yeah.
2: And 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 they're just they're just saying, hey, I'm okay without it. I'm okay without what you what you need to give me. I found this out when i when I started my last business, I, I hired a bunch of millennials because it's who I could afford, quite frankly. Yeah. And what I found was, so I was I had a private plane business, but it was scheduled service. <coughs> it was this hybrid between commercial service and private plane service. Yeah, uh, it wasn't just your plane to take wherever it was, but it was using private planes to fly scheduled service. And what I found was these millennials would get up there at five in the morning to make coffee and they'd stay up there late if there was delays on planes and whatnot. And they did it without complaining. And the reason they did it, is what I found out was this is the first generation in the history of the world that was given everything they could have wanted from vacations to homes, to education, to cars, uh-huh. et cetera. And what they wanted more than anything was time with their parents. And our business wasn't about flying planes. We didn't sell seats on a plane. We sold seats at the, at the dining room table. Yeah. So you could leave, you could have breakfast with your family, you could leave and have a business meeting and be back in time for soccer practice. It was the access to private plane without the cost of the private plane, and when they believed in that mission, which was our which is why we existed, they would they would say, "I'm here to take care of this dad because by golly, my dad wasn't around. and you see that in them, and they would have worked for free, probably, had they had the ability to pay for rent and whatnot, because they believe so deeply in the mission. Now I wish I could say I was so smart that I created it around that. And you know, it was all going to come together. I didn't, I was, I backed into it. I'd rather be lucky than, than, than good. I backed into it, but at the end of the day, that's what I found. And I think you can see it. And so when they don't buy, when they don't consume the the stuff we're, we're selling them, boy, I think I'm, I'm here for it. I think it's a great way for us to live as a society.
1: Certainly, certainly. So yeah, again, you know, Millennials to me are certainly not the lazy ones, and you point out that part of it has to do—at least this is what I'm hearing—part of it has to do is the millennials, and you know we can go into the Gen Zs and we can go down, you know, further down the line and the in the and the newer cohorts, but they were really that first generation to—I'm going to I'm gonna put this very colloquially—to truly have it a lot better than their parents did growing up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and so therefore their entire frame of reference was just different. uh the idea of i mean i'm I'm just old enough to remember that not a lot of houses had air conditioning Mm -hmm. a millennial doesn't probably doesn't know particularly in the united states probably doesn't know what it's like to have a house that doesn't have air conditioning they don't know what it means to uh have your fan pointing out one window and then having the other window open <laughs> to suck the air so that all the bugs don't come in and that's the only way you can cool the house down they don't know yeah. what that's like yeah so they don't have to process at that level which liberates and emancipates their mind to see things at a different level yeah hey, it's yeah. not yeah i mean and i found that you 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 find in a millennial's intersection, their brilliance and their passion. It's the same with the the Gen Zs and everything else. Uh, you know, here's another story I love to tell is, uh, you know how, I, okay, actually, this is so old. I can go back 20 years to uh, a job I had for about, this is a job I had for four years. And I remember, and this was 2003. And my supervisor, this job I had, claimed that whenever he called my desk when he was out of the office that I only answered 33% of the time. And he claimed he had done statistical analysis and tracking of how often I answered when he called. And I, and that it, I was at the point where I was getting ready to leave that position anyway. And I said, okay, first of all, just two days ago, I was explaining to you for the 50th time how to add a new folder to your three and a half floppy disk? You did not do statistical analysis. Second of all, if you're saying it's thirty three percent, I want my ten percent raise, and I want it effective on my next paycheck. Why? Because we were already at the point, and these are numbers that have only continued to get more dramatic over time. That's I'm going to cite recent statistics: seventy five. We're just going to say three-fourths. It's somewhere between two-thirds and three-fourths of people who receive an incoming phone call. And these days, all phones have caller ID pretty much. Two-thirds of three-fourths will let the call go to voicemail even if they know the caller. Even if they're just sitting there and there's no reason why they shouldn't answer the phone. Let's go another step a similar percentage of those who let it go to voicemail won't listen to the voicemail. At some point, whether it's immediately, whether it's 10 minutes later, whether it's a week later, they'll DM or text the person who called them and say, "Saw you called what's up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We're moving into the, I think a new era of communications when it comes to, telephones and it's that, and and they say, Oh, these lazy millennials, they never answer their phones. They watch the phone ring and then uh, go back to playing their games. Well, we're just past the point where people use the telephone as a primary means of communication. Hey, and if, and if that, I mean, so people who, when telephones really came into their own way back when, and we got to the point where all homes had telephones and all, Offices have telephones and extensions and voicemail and everything else. Were the people who no longer read telegraphs? Were they lazy? Nope. Exactly. Those,
2: the illiterate of the 21st century are not those who cannot read, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Yeah. And that is what's going on.
1: Right. So that's what's going on. It's a matter of perspective. Yeah. Now, T- now totally since agree. yeah, now since we're Speaking of perspectives, you also wanted to discuss something called the obituary exercises. I've heard you say, Nick, that a person will live for thousands of days, but only 10 will be remembered. So (laughs) tell us more about this obituary exercise. I think I know where you're going with this, but I want to hear your version.
2: Yeah. I I mean, there is, if you're lucky, you're going to live 30,000 days on this earth. Everything goes well for you're going to live about 30,000 days. And as we discussed Uh earlier you know, less than a couple of decisions really determine your, your obituary. And so if you look at any obituaries, you'll notice that less than less than 10 days are, are written about in that obituary. So the question I really am focused on is if you go write your obituary today.
1: Whoa, that just hit me. Less right? than 10 days are written about. The day you're born, the day you die, uh, they'll mention the job that you had it will mention your siblings and, and children who predeceased you and the ones who survive you. And then I just found the 10 days.
2: It's well, and, and maybe, and, and here's the, here's the issue with this is you'll wake up most of the days, not knowing that that day is the day that is going to be written about you. Right. Like aside from, aside from the days you marry, you wake up every day not really knowing, or your day, that your kid's going to be born that that, that, that that's going to be a day that's going to be written about you. So the question is, how do you prepare for that? If that's the case, how do you prepare for that? And I remember I read this article in the New York Times several years ago, an obituary in the New York Times, and it said uh, something along the lines of, um, uh, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but he said, you know, um, uh, John Smith, comma man who broke bottle of wine, dies at seventy nine. And I thought, yeah. what in the world? I got to read this story. So I opened it up and it's a story about a guy who, who had been a longtime wine connoisseur and he had a wine shop and everybody liked him. And he was at a, uh, the four seasons in Manhattan and he had a bottle of wine that was from Thomas Jefferson's cellar and he had hoped to auction it off that evening for half a million dollars. And he abruptly turned and hit a passing bus boy.
1: Oh, I know this one. I, I, it's coming back to me. I heard this one before. Go ahead.
2: The bottle broke and never auctioned it off, right? Can you imagine living your entire life and when you finally get written up in the New York Times, it says, Nick Kennedy, comma, man who yelled at his wife or kids or kicked his dog or whatever it is, comma, dies at 89. Like picking the worst thing you've ever done, even especially if it's an accident uh-huh. and that's the headline. And, and so it's, it's meant to be a, again, moving from a, I told you earlier, right? I lived a big portion of my life as a victim. Yeah. And I realized I didn't have to be a victim, i.e. I can actually go out and create what my obituary looks like. Boy, that changes everything on a daily basis. Cause now I'm much more awake with regards to the actions I take, the words I use and the people I hang out with. Cause that's going to determine what my obituary looks like.
1: That's really powerful. And I mentioned earlier this thing about how children are programmed to say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And in researching for my book, Groundhog Days and Event Not a Business Strategy, I came, I discovered the principle of kintsugi, which is, and this is something you find, I think it comes out of Japan, where it, let's say you drop a, a bowl and it breaks. Rather than throw the bowl away, you glue it back together. But however, in gluing it back together, you use gold or silver or something so that you actually visibly show that this bowl was previously cracked and broken. Mm -hmm. So by showing the seams and how the thing was put back together again, you get a sense of the history and the character of that bowl or that object. There comes a, there, right? there, there there comes a there comes a time in life where you where you do something that whether it was intentional or whether it was inadvertent or accidental or it was situational you do something that was quote unquote wrong and you rather than feel apologetic or try to mitigate the situation you say yeah and there's a certain power in that. Yeah. We don't have enough time for me to tell a couple really good stories about this, but there have been a couple situations where somebody tried to push me around and, uh, uh, you know, you know, through verbal, through verbal bullying or what have you. And I just hit back 10 times harder, so to speak. And they said, Oh, you're, how could you say that? You're, that was so mean of you. So inappropriate. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> they they had nothing to say to that. Yeah. No, they don't. Like, like because because the expectation through through mind framing is if somebody says, "Oh, how could you be so mean? How could you act so inappropriately?" You're supposed to you're supposed to crumble and beg for forgiveness.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah yeah this uh, with a with a woman that uh, you know this is a friend of mine told me about a woman he was involved with some time ago and this woman decided to just absolutely go off on him and at some point in her rantings she tried to tell him that you know you need to be coming with roses not knives and he said because i guess he wasn't being apologetic enough to her while she went off on her tirade and he said what you don't understand honey is i'm not coming with either roses or knives i'm going from you yeah. I don't need this.
2: Yeah. Again, coming back to coming back to uh, uh, boundaries. Boundaries yeah. with yourself, boundaries with others. When you do that, when you figure out how to understand where you begin and where others stop.
1: Right. So I, so I bring that up because it's just a matter of, is that really going to be your obituary moment? Well, it could be your obituary moment in the sense that it created a breakthrough for you. But yes. is that something you really want to be defined by? Is it something you need to be defined by? Not necessarily that's your choice
2: well you don't have a choice not to be defined that's the issue
1: that that that's interesting but I guess you can decide what to do with it yeah I mean you may be defined yourself by those experiences the question is is do you need need to be defined that way by society I find this really curious and I'm actually going to think about this on my own is if I you know, when I do the habitual exercise for myself I'm going to think what are the ten days that people are going to point to mm-hmm
2: I can't That's, wait to see, I can't wait to see what you write. It's, it's eye opening. And here's my advice to, to you and to everybody who does this. Don't rush it. Don't yeah. like you do it over a couple of, of weeks and months. Right. Like really think about it because I review my obituary almost every day. So that when I think about uh-huh. what I, how I'm spending my time that day, I can go, am I aligned? Like I spend a lot of time on this obituary. Am I aligned with regards to what I wrote in my obituary? What do I want people to remember about me? Okay, today actually I'm not, so I need to adjust a few things. Uh-huh. And then you have deep deep focus on what you want to spend your time on this day. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Beautiful
1: when you get that way. I love it. I love it. All right, so we have about 5 minutes here and I want to wrap up with our final point here. Uh exit survival mode. Now, depending on the tonality and the emphasis on syllables, you can make that phrase exit survival mode mean a few different things. But in your case, it's about getting your business out of survival mode without sacrificing your values or vision. So what are we looking at with that? I think it's yeah, a great place to wrap up.
2: Sure. I mean, every business uh, it ha- has three phases, three main phases. You have survival mode, you have optimized mode, and you have thrive mode. And when you're starting a business, you end up spending most of your time in survival mode. <laughs> Once you get to optimized mode, things change. And the goal at that point is to go to Thrive, where you're really where you're mentally healthy, where you're generating tons of cash, where your employees like it, you get the flywheel effect, right? There's there's stakeholders in your business. There's employees, there's vendors, there's customers, there might be investors, there's your community. When you have all those people rowing in the same direction, your business is unstoppable. That's thriving. You get massive margins, everybody's happy, you can't fulfill what the demand that people want from you that's thriving optimizing is getting to that point and the goal is when you get out of survival to optimize is move to thrive as opposed to back into survive but to your point we talked about earlier i mean covid happens right and guess what everybody's in survival mode unless you happen to be making n95 masks (laughs) then yeah you're in survival mode. And when you get in survival mode, everything changes and you just have to be thoughtful about it. And I think you're going to see a lot of businesses right now, you know, with interest rates going up, you're seeing Instacart took a 40% haircut on their valuation fast to shut down after raising $120 million. You're seeing huge changes. The the venture capital world is is the precursor to the rest of the world because they're so quick to react. They have so much capital and they can pull and push as they need to. And what you're seeing is because of interest rates they are cutting valuations for every 100 basis points of interest rates going up valuations in in these privately held companies are 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 are, are dropping 20 to 30%. and yeah. so when that happens and you think well i'm just going to get to another round so i can raise some more money and when i raise when i raise another round it's going to be okay well guess what the round doesn't exist anymore what are you going to do and yeah and I think that's when you think about from a, when you, from a business perspective and in your old life to be awake enough, to be aware of what season you're in actually is the biggest, is the most important because then you know what to go do. If you don't know what yeah. season you're in and you don't know what ails you, boy, you're just flailing around in the <coughs> dark, hoping that you hit something that becomes really dangerous for us as human beings.
1: Yeah, not that's, that's really good. So I love how you break this into three different phases. And I think I've been in all those places.
2: (laughs) Me, you and me both, brother. I think I probably saw you there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know a lot of people, including myself that have wondered, that have said, Hey, I just got this huge cash injection, or I just had the best year of my business. Where the hell did all the money go? Mm -hmm. That's another interesting one.
2: Yeah. Well, I have a client that I'm working with that uh, for months, they've been telling me how great the business is. Everything's great. Everything's great. And I finally said, Hey, we, let's just, let's look, look at the finances. And they said, what, what do you mean? Let's look at the finances? So let's finances are the language of business. Let's look at them. You think everything's going great. Let's look at them. Uh-huh. And they, the reality was they just didn't have good insight into it. And things weren't near as good as they thought they were. And they came back the next week and said, Oh my gosh, I finally sit down and turns out we're actually in a world of hurt. We hired too many people. The revenue we thought was coming in hasn't come in. And I'm in desperate need to go find new clients. It, nothing had changed in the actual business other than their perception of what the business was. So again, yep. just being awake of where you are is half the battle.
1: Right. Cool. So um, that's awesome. All right. So let's uh, you know wrap up here. We are at the top of the hour. And I would like to point out for our listeners... That Nick Kennedy is the author of the book called The Good Entrepreneur, An Insider's Guide to Building a Principled Business and a Powerful Personal Legacy. So if you've enjoyed our conversation today, you'll certainly enjoy this book. So I encourage you to check out that book, pick up a copy for yourself. And that's among many things you'll find when you visit Nick's website at nickkennedycoaching.com. That's nickkennedycoaching.com. So make sure to Visit that site. Make sure to connect with Nick on social media if you are curious about discovering more and you're done with thinking too small. And with that, Nick Kennedy, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. And believe me in education.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. And I can't wait to see you in Las Vegas soon.
0: We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show.